So I have, at home, I have this brand new Solomon snowboard. I don't know if you guys are snowboarders and if you know that brand, but I have a brand new Solomon snowboard. And with that, I actually have brand new bindings. That's the thing that gets attached to the snowboard. And then with your boots, you, you slip that in and you're attached to your snowboard. So I have brand new snowboard, brand new bindings, and, and boots. Also somewhere else I have in the house, I have the gloves, uh, beanie, and, and goggles, all, all that stuff. The thing, though, about that brand new snowboard I bought it back in 2004, and it has never touched snow. No joke. The bindings as well. The bindings have never been attached to the actual snowboard. But I bought them back in 2004, Skidazzle, the LA Convention Center. I wasn't even sure if they had that anymore, but apparently they still do. Not to, not to say that I've gone snowboarding and just rented and, you know, left that stuff behind. No, I haven't even gone snowboarding since 2004. So, you know, the, all, with all that, the conclusion is very simple, guys. I am not a snowboarder, okay? Plain and simple. I'm not a snowboarder. I'm only kidding myself and, and others if I go around saying, yeah, I love snowboarding. Yeah, dude, the, the powder up at Mammoth, woo, it's so nice. Yeah. If Carolyn was standing next to me, she would quickly point out, what are you talking about? The, the snowboard's been in the closet the entire time I've, we've been married, and even before we got married, it just sat behind the couch. You know, this pitiful picture that, that, that we have here of me not being a snowboarder, of who I'm not, what I am not. Even though... Uh, I've got the gear, right? I've got all the gear. I even know the language, right? You call it powder. You don't call it snow, right? You call it powder and you carve and you shred. Like I know how to carve and shred. <laughs> I know how to fall and hurt myself. <laughs> I even have stories. I even have history with snowboarding. Back 12, 13, even 18 years ago. The last time I actually snowboarded was in Mammoth. 2004, before I bought this brand new, brand new snowboard. So I've got stories, I've got the gear, I know the language. And yet this pathetic picture of what I am not, the fact that I am not a snowboarder, it actually parallels a picture of people today, of those of us who would call ourselves Christians, we who would profess to be followers of Christ, we who would say that we're believers. Even though we have the gear, we know the language, and we've got history with this Christianity. So with all that, it's uh, the question for us to consider in this passage, and the question that this portion of Scripture answers for us, very simply, is what do we do with the Word of God? In light of the context that we just heard, what do we do? How do we respond to the implanted Word which is able to save your souls? What do we do day to day with what God has spoken through His Spirit? Not what did we do with it 12, 13, 18 years ago. And the reason it's so, so important for us to consider this is that the Bible actually has some, some sobering conclusions about us depending on our response to the Word or, or our lack of response to the Word. The Bible has some conclusions, some stark conclusions about those of us who would profess to be believers but do not, do not respond to the word. And the ramifications go far beyond not being a snowboarder. And so with that, we're going to look at the verses in James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. But first, a little bit of the context because it informs us on this passage here. The context is the trials that we face. Right, the, the hardships that you and I face, and the, this really is a lifelong setting. Right, we might have seasons of trials that are much more difficult than others, but these trials, they're, they're the the vehicle that God uses to perfect us, to shape us. What else are we to do? We're to ask God for wisdom, and we're to ask in faith, not doubting. 
we're to, to know that it's our exaltation, it's our salvation in, in which we boast, that we trust, that we rejoice. And in, in these trials, we are to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not accomplish, achieve the, the righteousness of God. We are to put aside all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, in humility, the implanted word which is able to save our souls. So with that, we have our passage for today, and we will break that up into, into three parts. Uh, verses 22 to 25, we have the exhortation, a familiar one, perhaps even too familiar. Maybe a, an exhortation with which we're too comfortable. Okay, but that is the exhortation, and then we'll follow that up with uh, James's explanation in the next in the following two verses. He explains what happens with the believer who doesn't apply the word, and he follow, and he finishes that up with the encouraging promise. So we're, we'll hear the exhortation, the explanation, and then the encouraging promise. And just to give you a heads up, we will spend the majority of our time on the exhortation. So don't start portioning out the time. Hmm, he's gone. He's still on the first point. We're going to be here till one fifteen. So we're, we'll spend most of our time in the exhortation. So verse uh, 22 there reads, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And again, that word but, we, we start there and immediately jettisons us, up, us back up to the previous verses, right? We're to uh, be slow to anger because the anger of man doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires for us. That's why, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls only, but be doers of the word. Only, or but be sure to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. Let me just mention the obvious. The obvious thing here is that James is not saying don't be hearers of the word. He's saying, as the NIV puts it, don't merely, don't merely listen to the word. Do what it says. So with that, we will look at three aspects of this first point here of the exhortation. Three aspects of this command. We're going to see the scope, the substance, and the significance. Okay, so the scope of the, the command. What is the extent of this command for us, this exhortation? Then we'll take a look at the, the substance. What is the actual command? And then thirdly, the significance. Why is this command important? So we're going to start with the scope, the scope of the command. What is the extent of this command? Well, it's, it's all-encompassing, right? It says, be doers of the word. Well, which ones? How much of it? And the simple answer is all of it. I'm going to go all the way back to Exodus 24, 3. Moses, what, this is what he says, or this is what the verse says. Moses came and told the people, uh, here, notice all the times we hear the word all. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And this is the really nice part. All the people, all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Well, there's the right response right there. All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. They understood, even though they hadn't heard this verse yet, that all scripture is breathed out by God. And that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Well, you just mentioned the Old Testament. What do we do with that? Okay, are we going to be doers of all of the Old Testament, every single part? Well, yeah. But let's take a look at Deuteronomy 28. Let's turn there together because there we're going to see an example of a passage that informs us on the scope of Scripture, but also addresses this, this issue of, well, do we do all of, of what it says? All of the Old Testament. Well, take a look. Deuteronomy 28, and we'll look at these two verses, uh, 58 and 59. So Deuteronomy 28, starting with verse 58. I want you to notice a few things here. There, there is a command for all of God's people, even though we'll see that there's, there are consequences specific to the nation of Israel. Deuteronomy 28, 58, it says, If you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, Here's the purpose. 
that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, here comes the consequence, the Lord will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions, afflictions severe and lasting, and sicknesses grievous and lasting. I want us to notice there in this passage that the command is for all of us. What are we to draw from this Old Testament passage? Well, that God does intend for all God's people to be careful to do all the words of the law that are written in his book. For what purpose? That we might fear his glorious and awesome name, the Lord our God. Now, the consequence of that command, of not following that, is specific to the nation of Israel. We are not Israel, we are the church. So that's an, this is an example of a passage that teaches us that we are to draw this lesson for the purpose of fearing and, and uh, fearing his glorious and awesome name, but the consequences for specifically the nation of Israel. Okay, so with that, again, we are to do all the words of the Bible, knowing that something like the sacrificing of animals, no, we don't do that anymore because the command to sacrifice has been completely fulfilled in Christ. That's why we don't sacrifice animals anymore. Jesus is the sacrifice. Right? We don't need a priest. What did the priest do? The priest spoke to God on our behalf. We don't need a priest anymore because Jesus is our high priest. Right? He fulfills that role. And we don't need a prophet. We don't need somebody to speak to us on God's behalf because Jesus is our prophet. He fulfills that role, right? Hebrews 1 tells us that. Long ago, God spoke by, uh, to uh, the fathers by the prophets. In these last days, he spoke and has spoken to us by his son. Okay, so this is theology and Christology 101. Christ fulfills these three roles, the three offices, priest, prophet, and the third one is king. We don't need a king. We're not the nation of Israel who needs a king. And even that was out of their sinfulness. But we don't need those in man because we have that in Christ. Okay, so the command, the scope, is to do all the words knowing that certain commands have already been fulfilled in Christ. Okay, so... The scope, again, is complete. It's comprehensive. It's exhaustive. All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. That is to be our response. So that's the scope of the command. Secondly, then, we have the substance of the command. What is the actual command? The command is for action, not for amassing knowledge. The command is for doing, not you know, downloading, not data gathering. Right, The call here is to be doers of the word, not merely hearers. Now look, we are to read the word. We are to be readers of the word, hearers of the word. We just need to make that distinction between just reading and applying. Right, Knowledge alone versus action. Merely storing data versus doing. This is actually why we've actually heard Pastor John even mention Right? It's not enough for a sermon or a seminar or a time of devotion to be or to have been simply a good reminder. Can't stop there. Right? We heard last week, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In all things, give thanks, right? In all circumstances. We hear that and go, mmm, what a good reminder. Right? Mmm, rejoice always. Mmm, what a good reminder. That's, that's me, but that's what I do in the back there. Mmm. Mmm. <laughs> what a good reminder. Right? Oh, man. Rejoice always. Mmm. It's like a burger in my mouth. Mmm. And then we go to work Monday morning. Man, I hate this job. I hate my boss. Look at this guy. I hate this class. I hate this professor. Why do I have to take this class? But mmm, that was a good reminder. <laughs> You know, put on your seatbelt is a good reminder. But if you don't actually put on your seatbelt, it makes that good reminder completely useless. In fact, very dangerous. What should be the result of receiving and having received the implanted word which is able to save your souls? Let's recall, what does it say in Colossians 3.16? Without turning to it, let's remember. It says, let the words of Christ 
dwell in you richly. What comes after that? Let the words of Christ dwell in you richly, remembering all this Bible trivia, making sure that you know how many siblings that everybody in the Bible has, and making sure that you can show that off to your friends and family? No. Let the words of Christ dwell in you richly. Here comes the application. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do, application, that's the result of letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Huh, he mentions thanks, giving thanks. He repeats that. I guess that's important. Right, so head knowledge, guys, is not our goal. Right, head knowledge concerning the Bible is not the goal of the believer, rather heart knowledge. Listen to the way the author puts it in Proverbs 17, uh, 22, 17. It's incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply it, apply your heart. Apply your heart to my knowledge, he says. Going back to Proverbs chapter 2, he says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commands with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, later on, verse, verse uh, 5 of that chapter, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. See, but it doesn't stop there. At the end of that chapter in verse 22, Proverbs 2, uh, sorry, Proverbs 2, verse 20, all that, right, receiving the words, inclining our heart to understanding. What's the purpose of that? The last verse there, so you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the path of the righteous. Right? It's to apply what we've heard. Paul says this as well in, in the context of the, the food and idolatry. He says, hey, we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines, imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. You know, we even hear this warning that Paul gives to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3. And we need to heed that warning. We need to be careful not to be those lovers of self, lovers of pleasure, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Listen to what they did. Always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Can you believe that? If we're not careful, that's what we're doing. We're always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. The substance of this command is to be doers of the word, not just hearers, not merely readers of the word, though we are to read the word, not merely memorizers of the word, should be meditating on them, not merely quoters of the word. We need to live it out. What is it that James might have in mind in terms of the doing? Well, in this chapter alone, what have we heard? Well, count trials a joy. Ask God for wisdom. Boast in your exaltation. Endure trial, knowing that God is good. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Put away filthiness and rampant wickedness. Receive with meekness the implanted word. We haven't even got out of, gone out of the first chapter and listened to all of these Commands that we have to do, to apply, to live out. This is the substance, right? The scope was, uh, the, the extent was all-encompassing, all the words of the, the Bible. The substance is to be doers of the word. Thirdly, we have the significance. Why is this important? Why is it important for us to be doers of the word? Why not just hear it, read it, and be done with it? Why is it important? Well, it's because it actually reveals who we are. It's what we do that reveals who we are, that reflects our true identity. Right? It's our doing that reveals that, that reflects who we're actually devoted to. Through our response to the word, through which God actually makes us more like Christ. That's why being doers of the word is so vital. It reveals whether or not we're slaves of sin or slaves of righteousness, as Romans 6 says. You know, Jesus himself, he makes this 
distinction between saying and doing. We know this passage, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. He says, you know, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody who calls me Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You know, on that day, many will say to me, he says, Lord, Lord, didn't, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out many demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So it's what we do, it's how we respond to the word who reveals who we are in Christ. The very next verse he says, and he gives us this, this illustration, everyone who, who, uh, who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine, notice there are people who hear these words of mine, but do not do, do them and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Several weeks back, we had our church retreat and we had our guest speaker, Pastor Alex Montoya, and he actually talked about and he discussed this, this notion of a frustrated Christian. A frustrated Christian. There are many ways to be a frustrated Christian, but one of the ways is this, being a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word. It's just simply not what God intended for those whom he foreknew and, and loved before the foundation of the earth. Those whose souls he purchased with the blood of Christ to be just a hearer of the word. I mean, imagine a student. Some of us are students here. Imagine you get into school. I know this is not any of you guys, but imagine a student who gets into that school. All right, I got in. And then they get there, and then they never study. They don't open a book. They never go to class. Okay, I'm not talking about any of you, right? So, but imagine that. Imagine somebody who does that. They don't do any schoolwork, and then all of a sudden, they're on academic probation. What? Academic probation, delayed graduation, what? That's a frustrated student because you got into the school and you didn't do anything. You are a student, but you're not being a student. Imagine the married couple. The married couple who say their vows and then when it actually comes to living out their marriage, zero application of those vows. Imagine that. They make the vows and then zero application of those vows. That's a frustrated marriage there. And sadly, we don't even have to imagine that, unfortunately. Why? Because we see that in the divorces. Something that God hates. Because again, it's simply not what God intends for a married couple. Being a hearer and not a doer is simply not what God intends for his child. Hence the frustrated Christian. The question again is for us to consider, uh, the question for us to consider is, how are we responding to God's word? What are we doing with this implanted word which is able to save your souls? Are we receiving it in humility? Guys, is the word that the Spirit inspired, right, the word that in Jeremiah 31, God said, I'm going to write it on their hearts. Is it ministering to our hearts? Meaning, are we hearing it and applying it? Or are we merely hearing it? We're not merely to be hearers, readers, quoters of the word. And James now gives us the reason. What is the reason? At the end of verse 22, the reason is because you deceive yourself. Don't be merely hearers deceiving yourselves, right? The one who hears, the one for whom this is only ever just a good reminder. I'm not saying it's, it's a bad thing to say that it's a good reminder. No, we should be reminded of these things. But if it stays that way and it's only a good reminder, we deceive ourselves. That word deceive there, uh, the only other place it's used is in Colossians 2.4. But in both cases, here and in Colossians 2.4, it conveys being blinded to the reality 
of one's true state. That's what it means to deceive yourselves in this case. To be blinded to the reality of one's true state. You know what that means? That means that, guys, the stakes are really high. The fact that James would use this here in this context, the stakes are really high. Because the deeper implication is that you deceive yourself, going back to that verse 21, that the word has been implanted in you, that you have received it with meekness. So if we're hearers only and not doers of the word, we actually break that link. We sever verse 21 from verse 22, and we are not the people who have received with meekness the implanted word. That's the first travesty. It shows that we are not who we say we are. The second one, the second implication is actually, I'd say equally as sinister, right? Because it uses the word deceiving. Sadly, deceiving, guys, that's, that's Satan's verb. That's the deceiver's deed. That's the devil's deed. He's the deceiver. If we're not doers of the word, we deceive ourselves, a.k.a., this is the harsh part, we do the work of the devil. Just the way Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples, yeah, I chose you guys, except one of you is the devil. Our translations say one of you is a devil, but we're going to take that, understand that as the devil. Why? Because because the same reason why John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was, was with God, and the word was God. Okay, It's a definite noun there. Not a God, as Jehovah's Witnesses would argue. Okay, One of you is the devil, meaning he wasn't saying that Judas himself was Satan, but he's saying you're doing the work of Satan. He said that to Peter as well. What was that accusation based on? Just Peter setting his, minds on the things, his mind on the things of earth rather than the things of heaven. And he called him Satan. You're a hindrance to me. Get behind me. If we are merely hearers and not doers, we're helping out the other team. We're helping out the enemy. And we do that actually in three ways that I've observed in Scripture. We do that in three ways. The first one is diverting devotion away from God. When we are hearers and not doers, we divert devotion from God. And I want to point out what the Bible says about Satan doing this very thing. Second Corinthians 11.3, Paul says to the Corinthians, he said, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived, there it is, as a certain serpent deceived Eve by his cunnings, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Notice, the, diverting devotion from Christ is the work of the devil. Okay, and that's what we end up mimicking if we are merely hearers of the word. So the first way we, we do that and we start playing for the other team is by diverting devotion away from God. The second one is simply in disobedience. We deceive ourselves regarding God's truth, just the way it happened in the garden. Right? The the devil was there, and he says to Eve, hey, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And so what happened there? Right? There's deception, which leads to disobedience. What did Adam and Eve do? They were hearers of that command. They heard that command, but they weren't doers, which led to disobedience. So there's diverting devotion away from God, disobedience, and thirdly, denying the love of God. Denying the love of God. When we deceive ourselves by not being doers of the word, we deny the love of God. You know, there is actually something in common with demons, the devil, and disciples of Christ. What they have in common, what we all have in common is that we all know God. Sure, we all know God, but the question is, do we love God? 1 John 5 tells us, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. If we are deceiving ourselves by not being doers of the word, we deny the love of God. If we're merely hearers and not doers, we deceive ourselves, which unfortunately is in line with what the deceiver does. It's not a work of the Spirit. right? Just because you and I were to go out and, and get a 24-hour fitness membership, maybe we even got personal trainers. Guys, that actually, it, it doesn't mean that we're weightlifters. 
It doesn't even mean that we're healthy. It's what we do that reveals who we are. And this is the call for us. The exhortation, our first point, is for us to be doers, lest we deceive ourselves. James doesn't just leave us with the exhortation. He now gives us the explanation in verses 23 and 24. So the exhortation is that the believer is to apply the implanted word. The explanation is that the believer who does not apply simply denies what he sees in in himself. Okay, When the believer doesn't apply the word, the believer is denying what he sees in himself. We hear this in verses 23 and 24. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Let's start there at the end with what he was like. Guys, what is it that we are like when we look in the mirror? This is actually pointing to the word revealing our sin. The, the, the word that we do need to explain here is the word natural. Uh, the word natural in our tran- most of your translations, uh, really, literally it says face of his existence, geneos, basically the root word is genesis. We, we call that genesis, birth or beginning. But there's two meanings. We're, we're not using that one for this context. It's just the face of his existence. I know it's kind of awkward wording, and hence the translators just went with his natural face. But it points to our ontology, our essence, our being, simply who we are, which is just affirmed by verse 24. He just refers to him, um, he refers to that person as, you know, for he looks at himself. Okay, so we don't have to make too much of that, that word, but again, it points out that when we look in the word, we are to see who we really are, the face of our existence, our, our, our nature, our being, the sin that we have in, in us and our need for a savior. Well, how does it do that? How does the word do that? Well, what do you think happens? When a sinner looks into the Holy Bible, right? The law of the Lord is perfect, Psalm 19 tells us. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. See that the the word of God, when we look into it, it helps us to see what we're really like. And so that means our failure to, to act, our failure to respond, our failure to be doers of the word, it means that we don't see that against God's holiness that we are marred in sin and in need of a Savior. Jesus says essentially the same thing in John 3.16. He says it later on in John 3.19. He says, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because Their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. You see, the word of God, when we look into it, it exposes our evil works. So we either love the word of God and we respond to it and respond to him or we hate the light, we hate the word because it exposes us. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. That's what happens, guys, when we look into the mirror of scripture. We can see our imperfection, our sinfulness, and our need for a savior. Right, Because the word of God is living and it is active, sharper than any two-edged sword, Hebrews 4 tells us, piercing through the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed in the eyes of him to whom we must give account. If we are not doers of the word, We forget what we just saw in the mirror of Scripture. We see God's holiness and our sinfulness. I do want to point out, though, about this passage and this emphasis on being a doer of the Word. I do want to make sure that we understand that we are to be doers of the Word, but this is not works righteousness. Okay, This is not to say that our spiritual walks are an exercise in in self-improvement. This is not us 
flexing our inner strength muscles, right? Being doers reveals our identity, but it's Christ who gives us that new identity. It's Christ who regenerates us, God who gives us uh, new birth by grace, through faith, because God, he made him, he made Christ, he made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, that we would become the righteousness of God. But we do remember that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. Okay? Michael Horton, uh, he actually said that, you know, doctrine severed from practice is dead, right? Doctrine severed from practice is dead. And practice severed from doctrine is just another form of self-salvation and self-improvement. And that's not what we're after here. We are to be hearers of the word and doers of the word. So that's the exhortation. The explanation is that whoever doesn't apply the word simply denies what, what we see in ourselves, right? Our sin and need for a savior, the significance of being made more like Christ and beholding his glory and the importance of what Jesus himself prayed for us, right? He said, he prayed to the Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Okay, and finally we get to the encouraging promise. The encouraging promise is that the believer who applies the word is blessed. Listen to what it says in verse 25 here. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer of, uh, who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. That's, our, that's the encouraging promise. He will be blessed in his doing. James starts off there, the one who looks into the perfect law. Okay, the perfect law. We've been hearing that word perfect. Teleon, right? The goal, the aim, finding completion in Christ. It's the perfect law because of who our Father is. And we hear this in, in Matthew 5.48. Therefore, you must be per- perfect, right? As your heavenly Father is perfect. The only problem is, who one of us here, who of us here can, can be perfect and apply the law and uphold the law perfectly? None of us. Hence, our need for a perfect Savior. But for some of us, you know, when we hear the word law, we think, how is that, how are you saying law and liberty in the same sentence? I just hear rules, parameters, prison even. I, I, I feel like I'm imprisoned to the law. Why do we have to abide by a law? I mean, is that though what, what a relationship is? A relationship with our Lord? Right? If, if that's the case, if we see our, our faith as just a bunch of rules and a, and a set of laws, then we don't understand that our, that our relationship with God is based on grace. Think of it as the, uh, in the world of sports. Guys, in, in sports, we pick a, an easy one, basketball. We know that there's a boundary, right? There's a boundary in basketball, and you can't go outside that. It's a rule. It's a law. It's a parameter. You can't go outside of it. But here comes the liberty part. Where is there freedom in that? Because there's a boundary in basketball, it means you're free to play, knowing that somebody can't take the ball step out of bounds, not dribble it, and go lay, lay the ball up and say, hey, look, I scored, I won. You're free to play without that kind of chaos. I know it's not a perfect picture because basketball isn't perfect and you have refs and, and humans and whatnot. It's not perfect, but that's a picture of what it is to have liberty in law. You're free to play within the rules knowing that somebody can't go outside them. Play without chaos. And here... In God's perfect law of liberty, we're free to live with freedom in liberty. In another way, freedom from the fear of man, for example. Why? Because we fear the Lord. We love the Lord. Right? There's, it's a law of liberty because there's freedom from the fear of the unknown. Why? Because God is omniscient. There's a freedom from the fear of condemnation. Why? Because Christ was condemned. That's the law of liberty. We have liberty. We have freedom because we're free from these things, from the fear of man, the fear of the unknown, fear of condemnation. This law of liberty leads us to a life that God intends for us. Listen to the way Calvin puts it. The teaching of the law, let it no longer lead you to bondage, but on the contrary, bring you to liberty. Let it no longer only be a schoolmaster, but bring you to perfection. 
it ought to be received by you with sincere affection. For what purpose? So that you may lead a godly and holy life. We are to look into the perfect law, the law of liberty. And what do we do with it? We persevere. Notice the theme that we've been hearing throughout the first chapter of James. We are to endure, persevere, endure trials, right? Because the testing of our faith produces steadfastness, which is to have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete. We heard, we hear later on in the chapter, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. We are to persevere, to continue. Press on, guys. Press on. Keep being a doer. A doer who acts on the word, who responds to God's word, to, who responds to God's character. This is the encouraging promise that the person who does persevere will be blessed in his doing. You will be blessed in your doing. Let me ask it this way. Guys, loved ones, are you blessed in your doing? Are you blessed in your doing? Let me ask this a different way. Do you delight in God's word? I didn't ask, do you read the word? Do you hear it? Do you memorize it? Do you quote it? Do you share it on Facebook? Do those things, absolutely. But I'm asking you right now, do you delight in God's word? And in turn, do you delight in being doers of God's word? Blessed is the man, Psalm 1 tells us. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Guys, there are 150 psalms, right? 150 chapters of praise, and this is how it starts. It starts with telling us how blessed the man is who doesn't walk in sin, but who meditates on the word and delights in the word. Do we delight in the word? Psalm 119, 77, Let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Verse 92, If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. Verse 97 of Psalm 119, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. We are to delight in the word, delight in God's word, knowing that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. If there's anyone here for whom being a doer is a struggle, I just want you to consider this question. Do you delight in God's word? Is the word of Christ dwelling in you richly? Is it enlightening your eyes? For some, I think the answer would be, I used to. I used to delight in the, in the word back then, 12, 13, 18 years ago. I know the language. I have all the gear. And I've got a history with it. I used to. Guys, we need to be deliberate. We need to be intentional today about delighting in God's word. We need to be de deliberate and intentional. Because you know what this is, guys? Let me show you. You know what this is? This is a fish swimming down a stream. You see that? This is a fish. Guys, you know what this is right here? You know what this is? This is a dead fish. Even a dead fish can swim downstream. Even a dead fish can swim down the stream and let the current take him. Even though we have a beating heart and we walk on our two feet, we can go through life 24 hours a day, seven days a week, just like that fish who's dead, but is still swimming down the current. I don't want that for you guys. I don't want Monday through Friday morning being just a march down this zombie parade of, of cars down the freeway. swimming downstream of this current, the current of this fallen and dying world. I don't want that for you guys. 
We need to cherish God's word. We need to delight in it. Guys, it is our compass in the desert. It is the water of life in this parched and dying world. It is the bread of life in this starved and depraved world. I mean, let's not be nitpickers of the word, but let us be nourished by the word. Be nourished by it. For those for whom this is a struggle, I want to ask you, is it a duty? Does it feel like just duty? Right, Carving out time to spend with God, to commune with God? Are, uh, devoting time to God, is that only dutiful, an obligation rather than a blessing and a privilege? Is it duty rather than delight? I want to submit to you that the duty is a delight. But for those who are really struggling with this idea of delighting in the word, one suggestion that I have is to have God check our motives. Ask God to examine our hearts. Why am I doing this? Why am I spending time in the word? Or, you know, conversely, why am I not? But if it's one of these reasons, when we check our motives, if it's to get to our small group with a satisfactory report, or, or if it's to simply say that you've read through the Bible in a year, first of all, who are you telling that you've read through the Bible in a year? Who are you about to report to with a satisfactory report that you read the Word? Notice those, that purpose is man-centered, has nothing to do with God. Not only is the motive there wrong, it's tiring. And, and it, there's a reason why that doesn't last. I want us to delight in, in the Word. That's the call that we have in Scripture. It also reveals what we think about God. Is it the case that we want to simply know God, to love God, to depend on Him, to trust Him, to honor Him, to take joy in Him, in who He is, and the Word that He's revealed to us, the Word through which we get to know Him? Let's not merely be hearers of the Word, let us be doers. I'll put it in a not-so-eloquent way, guys. Apply or die. Apply or die. Let's be hearers let's, and doers and delight in it. But don't be like that guy. I heard this from a professor who, who had an uncle, who knew a guy who, who, knew an, uh, who had an uncle, one of those things. But apparently this guy read through the entire Bible, the entire Bible in about every two months or so. He read the entire Bible about every two months. And what this person said, and you know whose uncle is that guy? He said that that guy who read the Bible, the entire Bible, every two months was the most cantankerous and most abrasive man he had ever met. That's what happens when you're a hearer of the word and not a doer. I wouldn't want that for any of us. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Guys, it's okay to like Netflix, okay? It's okay. But who do you love? What, what is it that you love, delight in? You don't have to sink down your seats. We all watch Netflix, okay? You can like Netflix, but delight yourself in the Lord. Not as a fading New Year's resolution. I know it's coming. But we don't need to wait. It's, it's November or something, 26, I think. We don't need to wait till then. Today's a new day. The very moment I finish this sentence is a new moment. When you exhale that breath of yours right there, God gives you a new one. And it is a new moment, a new opportunity to resolve to love the Lord, to love his word, not just to hear it, but to do it, to apply it. There's a guy, David Cassidy, who passed away a few days ago. Uh, probably not so much on our radar. He's, uh, he was famous back in the 70s, kind of a teen idol, Partridge family. He died uh, about a week ago or so. And apparently his daughter shared his last words. Four words. So much wasted time. The last four words this man spoke, so much wasted time. 
I want to tell you, and I want to encourage you, and I want to exhort you, guys, every single moment you spend in God's word, meditating on it, hearing it, and being doers of the word will, will never be a moment wasted. You will never waste a moment when you spend it with God and his word. You will never waste a moment. Some here, some here I think are hungry. And by that I mean starved. Spiritually emaciated. Jesus himself says, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and and to accomplish his work. But if we're not feeding ourselves and we think two hours out of 168 in a week is enough, I mean, even if you gorge yourself at a buffet for two hours, is that going to last you the next 166 hours of of the week? Some of us are hungry and you're starved. You've starved yourselves. God's word, as we heard earlier, his, his commandments are not burdensome. Guys, it's not a heavy obligation. Not just rules and requirements. Guys, it's rest. It's reprieve. It's relief for the child of God. It is an RSVP to his invitation. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is what we have in God's word. So I want to encourage you. Let's not just be hearers of the word. Let us be doers of the word, not deceiving ourselves. Let us look into the perfect law of liberty and let us persevere. Let us be not one who hears and forgets, but a doer who acts, and we will be blessed in our doing. Let's pray together. Let's bow our heads and prepare for communion. Let's take a moment to reflect on God's word. Not only are we to be hearers of the word and doers of the word, but we know the Bible says that Scripture itself is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ.